Peace and long life, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. My name is Preston Prince, and with me are... Doug Bailey. Derek McCarson. Nathan Tolley. We are proud, and we are, pr- we are here in our inaugural episode of the Inner Light Project to bring you a roundtable discussion of various science fiction and pop culture elements, all from a Christian perspective. The name of our podcast is drawn from the Star Trek Next Generation episode entitled The Inner Light, which was a season five episode, which I believe is one of the great masterpieces of science fiction writing. And we wish to approach this podcast with the same mindset of Jean-Luc Picard, a character who I believe has always been an iconic form of open-mindedness, curiosity, and moral integrity, while at the same time looking at all of this through the lens of Jesus Christ, who we personally see as our inner light. Each of us sitting here are proud men of faith who attend church together where Derek is pastor, and we are unapologetic nerds, uh, each with his own strengths that complete our inner circle. Derek here is the expert on all things Tolkien, and of course he's the resident theologian, while Doug and Nathan are our comic book and Star Wars experts, and to complete this circle, all the Star Trek questions are deferred to me. The idea for this podcast literally started at my dinner table back on January 23rd when Star Trek Picard dropped on CBS All Access. As we all got together for a watch party and were throwing around all kinds of conversational topics as we were having dinner. If I remember right, we were digging deep into Donnie Darko, uh, which we will do an episode on that topic in the future. And Doug, I think you were the one who said that we need to do a podcast. So here we are after months of anticipation, finally coming together to premiere the Inner Light Project. Since this began as an idea at our Star Trek Picard watch party, we are going to dive into season one of, uh, of Star Trek Picard. Uh, just to run down some basic information about the show for anyone who uh, has not watched it yet, uh, it was released back on January 23rd on CBS All Access. Uh, if you live in Europe, you can also access it through Netflix, I believe. Uh, so the show does take place in the year 2399. And for any Star Trek fans out there, specifically that is about 35 years after Picard originally took command of the Enterprise D, and about 20 years after the events of Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, Picard is now a retired admiral after he resigned from Starfleet in protest. He was wanting to help with the situation with the Romulans and their star-going Nova and he was wanting to present a plan that would help them even after the synthetics had attacked Starfleet. And so he resigned in protest because they did not go along with his plan. So we find him at the beginning of the show tending to his vineyard in Labar, France. He has two Romulan friends that are living with him at that time. And we learn through the show that he's been grieving the loss of his friend Data, who was his android second officer when he served on the Enterprise. Uh, So that's the situation kind of where the show begins. And uh, really just uh, just to ask all you guys, what were your thoughts on the show? Just maybe a general review or anything that you may have observed uh, from from the show in general? Well, I guess one thing... um you know, because it starts out so many years after Next Generation ended and everything. Um, 
you know, he's trying to deal with just loss in general. And um, I think he's he's kind of just given up. You know, he's just pretty much dealing with his farm and things like that. And I don't know. Doug? <laughs> I don't... I know he... To me, it seems like he thinks his life's pretty mundane now. He's bored with it. You know, being on the captain of the Enterprise is a far cry from, you know, tending grapes. Right. This this took a much different direction as well. That was one of the things I noticed about um, both the character of Picard and how they did the show in general was how when we, we see Picard, he's retired, uh, he's living mundane, just as you guys said, and, you know, he is he is grief-stricken over the loss of Data, and we we also see the there's no more adventure for him. There's the, the uniform is off. He doesn't have the resources of Starfleet as a, at his command anymore. Uh, so he is on his vineyard, uh, literally tending to Pinot grapes on a daily basis, which is a uh, which is a dramatically different lifestyle than what he uh, originally had led for all those years that he was a captain and then an admiral in Starfleet. Um, one of the things I noticed about the show as far as the the show itself and how they filmed it and how it compared to previous Star Trek shows was the different direction the show itself took. If you think about Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and, and now Discovery, you, you have the ship, you have the crew, you have the adventure, we're going to all these different planets, you have all the gadgets, all, all these resources, and Star Trek Picard is, to me, very, very character-driven. It, it, it yes. focused yeah. very much right on, on characters and, and their development, and Jonathan Frakes, who played Commander Riker, he also directed a couple of the episodes. He was actually interviewed uh, during the during the filming of Picard, and in one of the interviews, he was talking about how they wanted to take the show in a direction that did not rely on all of the elements that you see in previous shows, like with the bridge of a starship, uh, you know, all those other elements that make the Star Trek shows what they were as far as the adventure goes. He, he wanted, they, they wanted to do a show where not only was it character driven, but it, it did it in a way that did not rely on those other elements. It was pulling on new elements and, and a new, a new framework of Picard where again, the, the uniform is gone and, and really he, he has to rely on himself and, and the resources he has outside of his his Starfleet career because he's no longer part of Starfleet. Um, one of the other interesting things about uh, about this show, too, that I had heard in another interview, uh, Will Wheaton, who played Wesley Crusher in the, in the Next Generation, he mentioned that his wife is not even a Star Trek fan and she loves the show. And again, it was because of the different direction they took. It was the approach of, you know, really focusing on how the characters developed and how the characters interacted. Uh, and again, not relying on the elements that Jonathan Frakes was mentioning, uh, which was something that I thought was really interesting considering she's married to a Star Trek actor for one thing, mm -hmm. uh, but not a fan at the same time, but again, you know, loves this show. You know, going that, on that same topic, you know, you felt like growing up with Star Trek, you lose a main character, the ship. Uh, that was a definitely a, a way different take on this show. I mean, I enjoyed it, 
But it's same, you know, there's parts of it that just very character building, and you wanted to see where he was going to go. He just had to rely on his own wits. Yeah, it, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a spinoff. You know, it's not it's not trying to focus on other parts of the Star Trek universe. Like it's it's focusing on a single character instead of a, um, a ship or a, or multiple events. Yeah, or different or, or like one planet or just whatever. It's it's right. focused on a single character. Um, I think that's one people one thing people need to walk into it saying it's not this is not about going on a journey with a a ship yeah there you don't have the anomalies yeah. you don't have the 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 guardian of forever you don't have you know the the worm well you have somewhat of a wormhole towards the uh, the end of the season but yeah. it, it i feel like they tried to minimize those elements yeah, for the same you, reasons we talked about and you don't have like the federation backing them you know like federation yep. i mean it, even though they are involved in the show somewhat they're not backing him just in case they get in trouble you know like he's he's alone even though he has the friends in it but he's alone it's definitely more picard romulan with a sprinkling of borg in it yeah so how bold of a choice is it though to take such a great well-known character and strip him down basically make him vulnerable to the point to where he's way past his prime that's kind of the way that i saw the series starting off is that wow we've we've taken this guy intelligent resourceful strong and now he's come to the end of his life he's searching for meaning he's searching for purpose because he's been stripped of his command he's past his prime like i said and he has to in a way kind of reinvent himself along the way he's also battling tremendous regret over past mistakes and so i think it was a bold choice to kind of take the character picard in that direction because it's an angle that we didn't really see before and um, I think that makes it instantly relatable to fans yeah. when they see that vulnerability in a character that they've, you know, been on a pedestal for so many years watching through movies and different series, or through the Next Generation series. And uh, so it's a different take on a character that had kind of been molded into one yeah. one form. And well, they're they're finally focusing on a human per se like they're not focusing on a, a military group mm-hmm. they're actually focused on what this person has gone through military or exploration <laughs> group <laughs> careful careful <laughs> space military <laughs> primarily exploration military if necessary yeah. I, I think that's the general philosophy behind that i mean okay in other words he, you could say he's not a soldier I don't know why I'm doing air quotes, but uh, <laughs> we're not commissioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's not a soldier anymore. He's an he's a civilian now, mm-hmm. and yeah. Well, and, and I think one of the biggest examples that I noticed of the that dramatic change that, especially what Derek had just mentioned about we we see him in such a different light is the. Um, I think it was episode six. He's he, Picard comes onto the Borg cube, onto the Borg reclamation project because he uh, he he learns that Hugh is in charge of the project. So there's there's a friend from his past that he knows he can connect with and help him to find Soji. But I, what really caught my attention was the contrast in how he acted when he was on that Borg cube compared to how he was in Star Trek: First Contact. 
uh, one part of it is that was the first time he was on a Borg cube since he was assimilated. But it was interesting to me how he was acting terrified Vulnerable. when he was oh yeah yeah, yeah he was really yeah. scared and i think it was a combination again of you know the the uniform is gone all those resources are gone um he he's vulnerable but it was such a stark contrast to the the line must be drawn here being I in control pay exactly yeah. having the answer knowing what to do next oh yes yeah. he's definitely uh dealing with his own mortality knowing like one of the first conversations he has with his doctor and they just call it the uh how they word that in his brain, the anomaly. Oh, yeah, his parietal lobe. Yeah. So he knows he's only got an X amount of time. So what regrets can I re- fix with before I die? So I think those themes are great to really begin a series on because anybody that's lived you know, a length of time here on Earth, uh, you've got regrets. You wish there were things you could go back and, and change, mistakes you wish that you hadn't made and now you have to live with the consequences of that and everybody deals with grief and of course changes happen in life things come to you that you don't see you don't expect a career change a marriage falls apart relationship whatever and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a situation kind of like where we see Picard at the beginning of this whole thing and that is all right what do I do now I've known my life has been defined as being this kind of person or working this job or being with this person. And now all that's taken away. And so how do I keep on living? What's my purpose now? So I think those are some very powerful themes that they tapped into to start the series with. And those are things that I think everybody can relate with. Yeah. And it was like that realization he had in episode one where, after after the explosion and after Dodge was killed, the when he said, I haven't been living, I've been waiting to die. Yeah. How many people was, are going through life like that yeah. on a daily basis? Um, yeah, because he because, you know, he basically he, he knew he knew eventually he was going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's what it is to be mortal. I mean, but also now he knows something is is basically going to kill him very soon. So now he's thinking, well, I'm going to help this girl. Maybe I can try to, you know. He's he's chasing I? that. Uh, what what else can I? I've done all these great things, these yeah. good things in my life. And his past few years, he's been on his vineyards. Like, what have I done? Yeah. You know, where's all my accomplishments? Accomplishments landed me. So, yeah. I hate to go ahead and break the theological egg, but if there is a biblical parallel to this setup right here, it's the book of Ecclesiastes. And I don't know if y'all have spent time in that Old Testament book, but it's in the wisdom section of the Old Testament. So you've got Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And so Ecclesiastes is written by King Solomon towards the end of his life. And like Picard, he's done all these great things. He's built a kingdom. He's presided over uh, Judah during a a golden era. He's had everything, wine, wealth, um, everything you could imagine. And yet he looks over his life and he's got a lot of regret in that journal. And he's also making that refrain throughout the whole book, Vanity of Vanities. In other words, my life hasn't really amounted to much of anything. And he's at a midlife crisis, so to speak, in that book. And so I would say that's definitely a theological parallel that we could start with and that 
um, I see those those things lining up. And then also, of course, the uh, biblical characters. There's all kinds of biblical characters that face failure and that deal with regret on a big-time level. And some of them never recover to gain their former glory. You know, you've got King David uh, in the Old Testament. You've got Samson. Uh, you've got other characters like that in the Old Testament who are uh, who make a mistake, things don't pan out, and they spend a lot of their days trying to reclaim what was lost. So these are very human things that the series is dealing with. And um, anyway, that's just the biblical intersection there. I just want to throw that out. No, there. that's awesome. No, no, like, because anytime, absolutely throw that in, Derek. The and. It brought back a memory for me, uh, and this does connect with the character Picard going back to season three of Star Trek The Next Generation. There was an episode called Who Watches the Watchers? And that was the episode where Starfleet was observing this alien species called the Mentakins, and they were very much like the Vulcans. They were like proto-Vulcans. You know, they were they were relatively primitive. You know, they, they, they lived in huts. They were, you know, kind of like a... I guess kind of a version of what humans were maybe about a thousand or so years ago, you know, not, not advanced as we are today. And they were, they were studying the Mintakins because of how consistent their culture had unfolded compared to how the Vulcans were. And there was an accident, the, on the observation post, there was this accident and the Mintakins find one of the Starfleet personnel that were, observing them and then long story short one of the Mintakins ends up on board the Enterprise because Dr. Crusher finds him he's injured Picard is unhappy with Crusher because she didn't leave him to die because it was a cultural contamination thing it was interference it was finding someone who is consistently like a human being over a thousand years ago seeing the Enterprise and so he wanted to die Leave me here to well, die. Well, he he was actually he fell off of a of a cliff, and he was unconscious. Okay. So, Doctor Crusher, being a doctor, gotcha. being the the Hippocratic oath type person, she immediately went to help him, and to save his life, she had to bring him aboard the Enterprise. So Picard wanted her to do a a, a procedure where it would wipe his memory. Well, the procedure was unsuccessful, and when he comes back to the planet, he. He thought he he thought that he was in the afterlife, and he got the Mentakins to start believing that there was a god, and his name was Picard. And it, and the episode was, in in short, it, it talked about how religious extremism was what can be unhealthy to a culture, and and so Picard wanted it to be fixed where they knew, you know. Picard is a flesh and blood human being, just like they are. You know, he he is not the supernatural being. What that episode they, was that? This was season three, and it's called "Who Watches the Watchers." Hmm. So, if you go back, like on Prime or any of those platforms, it'll be on there. But the the point I was wanting to make there is, there was somebody on one of the Star Trek pages that I follow on Facebook, and they they had posted about that episode and, and made some good points about it, um, but the way that that post was worded almost made it sound like all faith and all religion is, is, an, is a negative thing. And so I had commented on there and I, I said, well, as a man of faith and in the spirit of Star Trek's inclusion, I, I really feel that there is a place at the table for 
all of us, because I said, you know, my faith is actually plays a huge role in, in influencing my passion for this franchise and vice versa. I've always felt that that's a door that swings both ways. And it was interesting to me how there were some people that commented on there saying, you know, religious people just don't get it. Or you're, you're just, you're just not as open-minded or whatever. And I, and I, I just thought it was so weird because you know, this is supposed to be inclusive. This is supposed to be uh, a, a uh, an open table kind of thing in the spirit of Star Trek. Uh, but again, it, it brought me back to that episode because, again, I, I didn't feel like that episode was against all faith. I, I really felt like that episode, Picard's point was extremist forms of that type of interpretation or that approach well. can lead to problems. That's one thing, an argument you may hear in your walk, you know, you you can't be intelligent and be a man of faith. Got to take your brain out at the door. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so I, I, that was just an interesting encounter I had. But again, it was a it was another Picard connection. And because there are some people out there who who feel or even say or believe that that Star Trek is geared that way towards, you know, a, uh, a departure from faith. But I've noticed, especially if you watch season two of discovery, it's almost like they've kind of opened the door for it a little bit, especially oh, yeah. if you watch totally. the, yeah, yeah. The, the second episode of uh, where, where Pike is mentioning that he had, you know, a parent who had studied religion and how the dinner table was an interesting place. I thought that was cool that they, that they respected that, that aspect of our culture and, and it opened the door for how that, that, that having faith is, is a, is still a good and noble thing, even in the Star Trek universe, you know, and again, it was in the spirit of inclusion. Oh, yeah. oh uh, something that made me think of in the series. Um, I don't remember exactly what episode it was when Picard was having a flashback to when he first went back to the, where the planet, where he moved the Romulans. Mm-hmm. And they all essentially worshipped him, as opposed to the last time he come back and they hated him. Oh, that's the Vashti planet. Yeah, that, yeah cause they, Derek, you were talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, because they felt like they he uh, abandoned them. Yeah, when he had to go, but they, you know, they, I, I, I guess they were like, I'm not gonna say primitive, but they just weren't at that level thinking he has duties that he has to go. They're thinking, well, he's just abandoning us. Well, he had the. At that, somewhere in between those two, that's when he got, he left Starfleet. Yeah. He had no resources to get him back there. Yeah, because that was right when the attack happened, and he got called back to Earth. Yeah. And that's when he had that meeting with Starfleet, and that's when he put his resignation on the table. So basically, he was go- he was going back, but, and, 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 you know, he was going to return, but then all this happened, and he couldn't. And, I, and that's, they don't see that. Right. Yeah. So it's very interesting how all of that unfolds and again, how it, how it connects with that. Um, I was going to move to something else here. I, uh, I, Easter eggs that I noticed throughout the show or any Easter eggs that you guys might've noticed that were either nods to other parts of Star Trek or, um, or anything else in the franchise. One of the Easter eggs that I noticed, two of them actually had to do with the music in the 
in the yeah, I think you pointed that out at a yeah. watch party. Yep. Didn't you? The I, I did. The in the the main titles in the introduction to Picard, where you hear the flute, that is a direct nod to the Inner Light episode. By where, the way, Preston is a music teacher, just so everybody listening. Yes, everybody listening. This is yes. why he would notice that. None I, of the, we're all just. And I then, was like, I thought it was great music. Yeah. And he's like, but but it was this. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and this, yeah, thank you, Derek. That I, I appreciate that. The um, yeah, anybody listening? Yes, I, I do teach music, uh, elementary school, and and I also direct music at the church that Derek pastors. So it's a it, it is a full circle of music in my world. Uh, but yeah, when I heard the main titles. I actually had to go back and I watched the inner light, not necessarily because I I heard something at first in that, but when I went back and watched the inner light, mainly because of it was Picard. And I had a feeling that there were going to be some nods to that episode. The part of the episode where Picard is much, much older, he's getting towards the end of his life as Cayman because he's, he's inside that universe in his head. He, his son who is growing up is inside the house and he's playing the flute. And in that scene, his son, who's inside the house, that musical theme that his son is playing, and his son was named Bataille, it was after his best friend, that musical theme is what they used for Star Trek Picard. Boom. That's a deep cut, man. Yeah. And, oh, oh it, it gets deeper, guys. It gets deeper. The, the man who played his son is actor Daniel Stewart, who is Patrick Stewart's real son in real life. Yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. Or, or in long story short, the episode, uh, the, the nickname to the episode is learn to play the flute in 25 minutes <laughs> is how that episode is titled because Picard was only unconscious for 25 minutes, but in reality he had lived something along the lines of 50 years. You know, he lived a full lifetime, wife, family, grandchildren, and all of that. Uh, so again, that was, that was a major Easter egg that I noticed. And then the other musical Easter egg happened towards the end of episode five. That was when they're on free cloud. And after they come back up to Rios' ship, Seven of Nine tells Picard that she'll take a couple of phasers because she's planning to go back down to have her, her Kill Bill moment with Vajazel. And I really, anyone who's seen Kill Bill, that was oh, like yeah. a Star Trek version of Kill Bill. The two, the two women talking to each other right before one let's loose on the other. Only instead of samurai swords, we have phaser rifles. And that black mamba. <laughs> that's what I was yeah. waiting for. That, that uh, I was waiting for Vajazel to say, that's a, that's a Hattori Hanzo sword. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, but what was interesting is right before she beams down, she's, she's talking with Picard because they were both assimilated by the Borg. She was assimilated as a child, you know, and, and of course he was sim- assimilated when he was captain of the Enterprise, and they were talking about regaining their humanity and how she asked him if he felt like he had regained his humanity. He said yes. She said all of it, and he pauses and he says no, but we're still working on it. Right after that, when Seven goes up to the transporter pad right as she's about to beam down. You can hear a a, a little snippet of the theme from Star Trek Voyager. And so if you go back and listen to that part, only only you Preston. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a few Asheville symphony friends who, who picked up on that as well. Uh, So we're, we're kind of on the same wavelength, but, but again, they have the theme from Voyager. And then the, the last music Easter egg was at the last episode, uh, at the end of the episode where, where Picard is 
terminating Data's consciousness. And you hear a, a female voice singing Blue Skies. And of course, that's a direct nod to Star Trek Nemesis. But the the woman singing it is Issa Briones, who played Dodge and Soji. She's the actress who's actually singing that. Um, another Easter egg that, and this, this was one that I researched because these are I came across some articles that pointed out some Easter eggs because you know no one's gonna be like Pokemon and catch them all, but the the beginning of the first episode where Data and Picard are playing poker data's hand is all queens and i noticed it was a repetition of the letter q whoa uh yeah yeah now i know we didn't see john delancey in this and he didn't appear as q but i just thought it was interesting but we're hoping yeah we are hoping and with, that's a topic we're going to get to in just a second and um and then of course a big another big easter egg was number one the pit bull so he named his dog number one. We all know. And that's actually an, an Easter egg that goes all the way back to the original, original Star Trek. And I don't mean Kirk. I mean the original Jeffrey Hunter, Christopher Pike. When he played uh, Christopher Pike in The Cage, which of course was the episode that was rejected originally by NBC and then re-aired as The Menagerie. Mm-hmm. He, his first officer, he called number one. And then you know we see that again in, in season two of Discovery. And uh, also, the the term engage it didn't start with Picard. Christopher Pike, again, Jeffrey Hunter back in 1964, whenever it was, actually coined the term engage. But Picard made it cool, though. He did make it cool by doing <laughs> well, the... Well, he said it once the, in the series. <laughs> he did, by, by doing the finger thing where he points and engage, that, you, you can't take that away. That's a, that's Just, a gold coin right I there. I kept looking for a Gorn... Easter egg, and I never saw it. So, oh, there was a Gorn Easter egg. If you think the 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 Vasquez rocks where Raffi lives, I was wrong. That that is the actual set where they filmed Arena. So that that oh. extra, and that's actually been a go to spot. Not know that? Yes, that is a go to spot, and I I think it's California. Either way, but in real life, they're called the Vasquez rocks. And that has always been a go-to spot for different outside scenes. I can hear the dramatic music in my head. By the way, everybody should know, at Christmas time, (coughs) Preston's house is filled with all different kinds of Christmas trees. And he has his very own Star Star Trek Trek themed Christmas tree. And on the tree is a Gorn. Oh, yes. I remember that story. It's awesome. I remember, Derek, you were, we had the choir over for the Christmas party. You saw the tree. You came back out and said, there's no Gorn on the tree. And then I brought you back into the room. And sure enough, you I just, was proven wrong. You, you were right proven. But <laughs> in your defense, there were already so many Star Trek ornaments on the tree. It would have been hard to see anyway. So between that and the, the, the red, gold, and blue balls. Anyone who understands that combination will understand uh, the uniform colors. So they can be hard. If, if you're listening to this and you too have a Star Trek themed Christmas tree, at some point send us a picture. We want to see how it compares to presents. <laughs> yes, because we will have a Facebook page and multiple social media. So we would love to see uh, all of your Star Trek Christmas trees for sure, or any any type of collections that you have. Um, so, uh, Preston, you did break the uh, Pike Easter egg there. Uh, so, uh, speaking of Pike, you know, how awesome was that in Discovery? I mean, I know. Yes. And I, I am perfectly happy to pivot to 
the discovery topic, especially with Anson Mount as Christopher Pike. And I, 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 I actually got retweeted by Anson Mount recently. What? Yes. What? And and I'm not, I'm not like ver- the verified account. Do tell. Anson Mount retweeted me because. And this was this was after and this, you know on the topic of Christmas I felt like a kid on Christmas morning the the day we found out that they officially announced Star Trek Strange New Worlds because that's going to be the Discovery spinoff we're going to get to see Pike and yes. Ethan Peck is Spock uh, who by the way is Gregory Peck's grandson and uh, and Rebecca Romaine is number one and now we're going to get to see the Enterprise on its journey before Kirk takes command. And that's really exciting because we're, we're going to be filling a, a, a huge story gap. And I, I had tweeted Anson Mount and said to him how excited I was. And I even, I took a little bit of license with a quote that Christopher Pike said to Michael Burnham before he leaves Discovery to go back to the Enterprise. And he said to her, I am truly grateful to have been here to watch you discover your heart. Because, you know, Michael Burnham is another example of a redemption process mm-hmm. with someone. Mm-hmm. You know, she she starts discovery as uh, ha- having commit, committed mutiny, sentenced to life in prison, and step by step, she returns to officer status. She becomes science officer and to the point where she has won the respect of, at the time, one of Starfleet's greatest captains. She's wanting that redemption. Exactly. And so I, I told Anson Mount, I said, you know, to, to take license with your words as Christopher Pike, I am truly grateful to have been here to watch Star Trek rediscover its heart. And uh, he said something when he retweeted, he, he even made a remark, something like, you know, the honor is mine or something like that. And I was like, oh, <gasps> I got retweeted by the captain of the Enterprise. <laughs> it you've was ma- tr- you've made it, Preston. I, I have made, made it. it. I I had my five seconds of fame, and you know all his followers got to see it, and it was just uh, it, it was like Christmas morning. It was truly it was truly <laughs> wonderful. Who is this Preston guy? <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a truly great moment, and and again, that's that that's another Easter egg that we could bring up because when Picard walks into Starfleet Command. He looks up and, you know, they have those hollow projections of the Enterprise and they showed the original Enterprise, but it was as it appeared in Star Trek Discovery, mm. the, the way the, the ship is, is shaped. If you look real closely at how the Enterprise is shaped before they go to the Enterprise D, which that's, you know, we know and love that one. But the original Enterprise, it appeared as it did in Star Trek Discovery. Now, part of that, I believe, is a just just a general basic direct nod to the show. But I think also maybe it's opening the door for season two to do some story connections with some of the events of discovery, which we've had, you know, previous conversations on Um, the last Easter egg I was going to bring up too was um, well, well the, uh, the Vulcan bells in Commodore O's office. I was waiting on you to bring up that one. The, the, the uh, Amic time episode with the, with the, the Star Trek's most famous fight music, Uh, the uh, Vulcan bells, you see those in the background of O's office and the really cool one. This one was, and again, I came across the article on this one. I, 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 I did not know this, but the ship that Riker commands when he appears with that fleet of like 200 starships and he's there to defend the, uh, the synthetic home world. And there he is in uniform in the captain's chair and 
uh, it was so cool to see him in that light because it was like a version of Riker where it was like, okay, I'm done talking. Our phasers are trained on your warp cores. You have two choices. You know, it, it was like Elnor saying, choose to live. And, but the name of his ship, the, he said it was the USS Zhang He. And I came across an article about Zhang He was an actual 15th century Chinese fleet admiral. And he commanded one of the first known fleets that navigated using the stars. And uh, the article, I don't know how true this might be, but the article did say that it was known as the Starfleet. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Because, again, using the stars. Uh, which, if that is true, it has Star Trek beat by over 500 years. So, or just the Star Trek franchise. If you take the actual time frame, it has it beat by about 800 years. So, uh, so anyway, those were some Easter egg observations that, that, came, uh, that came across so if you're listening and you noticed an Easter egg that we didn't mention, leave a comment, send yes. us a note. This so will be posted on Facebook. See it as well. Yes, uh, th- this will be posted on Facebook as well, the link to this podcast. So if you do see any type of Easter egg that we may have missed, because I know there are probably tons of them out there, and I'm sure I didn't even get to any that I had notes here on. So please do let us know. Um, what about favorite characters? Uh, anyone have a favorite character they Elnor. Oh, you took mine, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew I had to jump on it quick if I was... He's definitely my favorite character. He's... Um, you get to see him as a child and where he's raised and he sees Picard as a father figure. When he goes back, he sees Picard. He's, just, he's got that father figure to help him and he used him to guide him. He's, I think, uh, he was reading Shakespeare. Was it? Was it Shakespeare? Or was it Three Ham- Musketeers. Three Musketeers. Mm-hmm. There you go. And uh, and then when you see him come back years later, and he's grown, he's um, what is he missed out on when he's he's still trying to get Picard's approval, but he's still trying to show, hey, I'm a man now. So how does he get? And even in the first sequence, one one of the best lines in the and I know Preston agrees with me with this. One of the best lines when Elnor comes to defend Picard and he says, "Choose to live." It's like one of the yeah. best lines in the series. I I just love that and seeing him go through. He's very honorable and he always wants to. His honor drives him to try to be the best he can be. What I like about it. yeah. I don't know. I think uh, I feel like I know he wasn't in it a lot, but I feel like Hugh, because I, I always liked Hugh when he on the few episodes he was in in Next Generation, because he was basically the first first Borg that came back, basically discovered his individuality, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, and I don't know. There was just something about him. I always liked him on Next Generation, and then when he came back in this, he was even more more human in this. And then he's trying to help other um, species trying to come back from being a Borg. And I don't know. I just I always liked his character. I When I found out Hugh was going to be back and they were going to bring back Jonathan Del Arco, like I, I was through the roof excited. Because that was a character who only had two episode appearances yeah. in Next Generation. But in those two episodes, he... He was a very, very iconic character for those reasons that you just said, Nathan. And so to see him back and to see him come even further along to come back into that humanity was was really something cool to see. 
So I would say for me, of course, I'm going to go with Data there at the very end as he makes kind of what I see as the basic moral of the whole series about mortality giving meaning to life. And he has that conversation with Picard there in the yes. simulated death afterlife, I guess, whatever you want to call it, uh, there and, and with just him and uh, Picard in that room. And I felt like that that was a, a good way to end the series, although it did have some sad overtones. It really touched on a lot of um, powerful themes there with consciousness, eternal life, death bringing meaning. And so I felt like that was a very poignant scene. It was well acted. And to me, it just sort of brought the whole series, or at least the whole season one together, to its final point. Um which is all the things that Picard was dealing with mm -hmm. through the series personally in that journey. And it was like Data just, even though he's an android, he gave some very human uh, advice there and kind of helped Picard move on to the next chapter in his life. It so was I felt a, like that was a great handoff. Yes. Yeah. Well, and he knew to, you know, un unlike just a... Uh, any other robot or whatever he knew like he basically learned how to sacrifice himself like he he learned something from a human to say hey you're going back to the enterprise i'm going to stay here and destroy the ship and i, I just I, I know i always like that about data as well the fact that he just he's constantly or he was constantly learning yeah. And wanting to be more human. Yeah. And that and the self-sacrifice thing is a, is a very noble. And I guess you could say very, very selfless human type thing to yeah. do. Um, you know, in, in the spirit of, you know, Pinocchio, which was a nickname that Riker gave him because again, he wanted to be human. He wanted to be real. He wanted to, to be better. So, so that's one thing that a lot of science fiction does. If you watch a lot of sci-fi is, they juxtapose humanity against artificial intelligence or an android, and they use that as a mirror to talk about what does it mean to be human. And then a lot of times in sci-fi, what we see is the android ex exposing or even being a, an example of what humanity should be or showing more humanity or more compassion in some ways than the human does. And I noticed that's a pattern that gets used a lot in everything from Blade Runner to Bicentennial Man was a good one. Yeah, to all yes. kinds of. Oh uh, yes. If, if you're a sci-fi fan and you watch things like that, then you're going to see that pattern. Well, it's, it's it's almost like you know it's it's the textbook human thing to do. Like this is what you're supposed to do, mm -hmm. but humans choose whether or not to follow the rules. Which Data, I feel like, you know, he's almost like he's going by the text. He's like, this is the right thing to do, so that's what I'm gonna do. You know, I I feel like he's, I feel like in all the series he never really did anything wrong, like he like you know murdered anybody or anything. Like, at least I don't think he did. No, I, it, you could say that Data, especially when he was functioning properly, was someone who he yeah, like you said he followed the rules. And I remember there was one episode he was captured. He was captured by this merchant who was collecting all these different artifacts to profit off of. And I remember a line that he said that he is he is programmed with the ability to use deadly force only if 
the situation calls for it. Yeah. Um, so in his case, that would be to either protect his own existence or the existence or life of, of a crewmate. Yeah, so basically he knows, you know, when to do the right thing and when mm-hmm. not to, you know. Right. So, But I thought it was great the way that they ended that and that they, they wrapped it up by talking about, you know, mortality and kind of hinted at to, toward eternal life. And they used an android to teach that lesson. Well, and the, the line that stuck out in the scene you're describing, Derek, was when, when he said, I would be profoundly grateful if you would terminate my existence. And he said he wants, he wants to die knowing that his existence is finite. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, a, that was a real interesting contrast to, you know, maybe any, this may be kind of a random thought, but I, I just thought about how it was a contrast to a lot of Fountain of Youth stories we may have heard, like Tuck Everlasting and, you know, things like that, where either by choice or not, you know, there are some people who, will go through any lengths to extend their life. Like I know Derek, you've preached sermons before that have touched on the topic of, of cryo freezing. Yes. Alcor life extension. Yes. <laughs> it's a real thing. Yeah, exactly. Walt Disney's head's frozen somewhere. <laughs> Encino man. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it got me thinking about those too and how it was, Demolition it was a man. Yeah, oh yeah. Demolition <laughs> man. That's another one. Um, the Alien franchise would be one. Uh, well, uh, just for travel. I mean, I wouldn't call that, you know, like trying to preserve to live forever or whatever. But obviously. Remember, she jumped She jumped in time. Like she was like in stasis for like. Oh, what, that's true. Yeah. Like 50 years or she something. She was like 57 years. And yeah. then, you know, she wakes up and everything is different. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a really cool. <laughs> Sigourney Weep. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That'll be another uh, topic we'll do later. Um but when he when he said that he wanted his existence to be finite, it, it, and again that was you to me that was almost a that or not almost it was a a Christian thing because as as Christians we know that our existence here on Earth is finite, mm-hmm. you know. But we also know that there there is something after this, you know. That that uh, those of us who are Christians know that there is something after that for us. But our our human, our flesh and blood existence is something that is finite. And I thought that was a really neat connection that that he had made, especially again living in a culture where you do see every now and then, or you see around you people that are wanting to either, again, freeze themselves or, you know, try and find some way to, to live forever as a flesh and blood person. Yeah. So piggybacking off of that, you know, what we would say in Christianity is that it's, it's eternity that brings ultimate meaning in our finite existence. Yes. So uh, that's where our hope is. And that's where our redemption lies is that Mm -hmm. we know that our time here, as the Bible says, three score and ten. If we're doing good, and everything beyond that's a bonus. Uh, so you know, seventy years and beyond, you get. The Bible also says that life is vapor; it appears once for a moment and then vanishes quickly away. So obviously, we only have a finite amount of time to to serve serve the Lord and and do our good our good works uh, for Him. Uh, but it's eternity that brings ultimate meaning to that because we know that it's not the end of life it's the it's the continuation beyond and uh, so i thought those were some very powerful themes that they tapped into there and like you said mm. they may have not intentionally wanted to 
tie in with Christianity, but they certainly did borrow from the worldview to get those things. Right. Yeah. And those are connections that we as fans are able to to sure. make. Whether or not that was the writer's intention or not, I, I do believe, again, in the spirit of inclusion and in, in how Star Trek is, those are those are doors that are left open for for us as fans to fill those in. I mean, even by way of this discussion. And I, I feel like that shifts us to talking about some of the theological connections with the the whole season of Picard, especially in the last episode, talking about the finite existence. And I know, Derek, you just mentioned the word mortality. There was, right after that scene that we showed you where he was talking with Data, after Picard is brought back, you know, they, they transfer his consciousness to that new body. In the next scene, they're gathered around this this big computer. And of course, that's the computer that is uh, housing Data's consciousness. And of course, we know that Data wanted Picard to terminate his existence. And as Picard is pulling, you know, the, I guess you'd call them the chips to shut down the whole computer for good, he's talking and he says, he, he quotes Shakespeare from The Tempest. And this is Prospero when he said that we are such stuff as dreams are made. And in, in context, the that part of The Tempest, Prospero is making a group of spirits vanish and he's reminding his daughter and fiance that mortal life is something that is finite and can end in the blink of an eye. So that was the context of why Picard quoted that. And it was funny when I was looking up that that context, because, you know, whenever I read Shakespeare, I always have to look up what in the world it means unless I've, you know, it's it's a play like Henry V that I've watched over and over and over and I can just tell. But with with this quote, because it was Patrick Stewart, I had a really good feeling that it had to have been Shakespeare. And sure enough, it was Shakespeare he was quoting. And when I was researching that Prospero quote, I was on um, some British theater website. And as I'm scrolling down, sure enough, there's a picture of Patrick Stewart playing the part of Prospero (laughs) on there. Um, And that's the kind of actor Patrick Stewart is. He is such a Shakespearean actor. I don't know if this is true or not, but I remember hearing a story that he knows, he knows Shakespeare so well that some audition a long time ago, he was actually correcting the, um, the people that were watching him audition. They were trying to correct him on a line and just off the top of his head because he knows Shakespeare plays so well, he was actually correcting them. Well, I he was classically trained. He is. Yeah, he is. He's been doing that I his mean, entire life. So yeah, I mean. and really, I, I had this thought today, if if we were to have like a some cataclysmic event where every Shakespeare book was lost or burned or whatever. (laughs) So if Patrick Stewart carries a heartbeat where it's like the book of Eli, you could just sit him on a couch and just, he could just roll out all, all the works, you know, it's really amazing. Write this down as I say it. (laughs) (laughs) And that, that, that's really how beginning. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, getting back to, um, what we were talking about with our, our own faith connection as Christians. Um, that was another, thing when when he was quoting Prospero and saying we are such stuff as dreams are made the the context of that again was talking about our earthly mortality and how our existence on this earth is a finite and limited thing so there's a great verse in Ecclesiastes I know I mentioned that earlier in our discussion when I was referencing regret and mistakes 
but in Ecclesiastes, in chapter 3, there's a great quote in um, verse 11. Hold on one second while I pull that up. I want to make sure I get this right for all of our listeners out there. Um, version is a great app out there if uh, anyone wants a, a good Bible app on their phone. It's free and there are multiple multiple versions of different translations of the Bible. So yeah, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, uh, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, except no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. And so that verse is talking about how that uh, every single human soul has a spark or a longing for eternity. And it's that's how we're created. It's put there by, by God. It's part of the being made in the image of God. So we all have that curiosity, that longing, that itch that can only be scratched by the eternal. And I think that the end of the series really touched on that, especially when we when it started talking about transferring consciousness into another body. And for those of you that are kind of keeping up with the cutting edge of sci-fi and, and science, uh, transhumanism is a big thing on the horizon. I believe in science. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you, Libre? <laughs> transhumanism is a big thing coming up where uh, you have people who are wanting to somehow keep their consciousness in a digital form and be able to transfer that later on in the future. Uh, this is real stuff. Uh, you can you can research that. But uh, really, we know that uh, according to the Bible, that we're we're more than just atoms. We're more than just molecules. Uh, each each human is a soul that has a body, and so we are dust and spirit. And the dust part eventually waxes old and wears out, and, and then we we move. Our eternal destination goes to one to one of two places: heaven or hell. But um, we all have that longing and that need to understand what is beyond. And so Star Trek, uh, Picard touches on that where at the end they transfer Picard's consciousness into a new body. So it's almost like a form of reincarnation, I guess you might say. Um, of course, we know that the Christian's hope is uh, eternal life through and, and the soul uh, being redeemed and also the body being redeemed one day where uh, God eventually will put back together the soul and the body, but the body will be in a redeemed, uncorrupted form where there will be no taint of sin or death. And um, so that's the ultimate hope of heaven. And so I see all of those connections there. Um, and it raises those questions in the series, and I think that that's great. And it's a good opportunity for people to explore those topics. Um, there's a lot of world religions out there, and all of them try to answer that question of what lies beyond the grave. And I think that uh, in my research, Christianity is the only one that really provides the most viable answer for that because uh, we have Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, who comes and lives a perfect sinless life, enters into the greatest problem of all, which is the problem of evil, becomes susceptible to death, and then comes through the other side through the resurrection. And because he has gone through that, he can offer us the hope of eternal life in the future. And so um, I think that's interesting that the series took that direction in, in that it's a, it's a very much of a parallel of what we see going on in the fringes of science where they're always trying to push the envelope and extend life somehow. 
and if we could transfer our consciousness into a, some digital matrix or something like that, we could mm. keep keep life going. But of course, we know that the blue or the red pill. Yeah, the blue. Or the red pill. <laughs> How deep the rabbit hole? But we goes. know that you know uh, we're we're more than just a body, mm-hmm. um, and the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's no intermediate. There's no transferring of my soul to another body. And, you know, when this life is other, over, your soul is going one of two places. And yeah. the thing is, God gives us the decision about where we want that to go, or where, where, what existence we want to have. But Jesus gives us that eternal hope. And um, I hope that as you listen to this, you're, you're thinking about these things. And if you haven't truly investigated Christianity and uh, looked at it from a historical standpoint, looked at it from an evidentiary standpoint, you should do that because it's a faith that can stand up to great scrutiny and still hold. So there you go. That's my sermon. <laughs> no, well, that, and that's good because that's the... Oh, what were you going to say, Doug? Uh, I had one more point. We, we ain't close Let's on hear time. it. Um, one thing I took uh, watching the series is one of the arguments you hear, it's... Uh, Picard is always chasing. He doesn't think he can do enough good. It's just a, you know the good works argument. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole time he's chasing the regrets in his life. What can he fix? And what can he repair? Do do this. He can repair this. Do the. He travels the universe trying to do these good things to a. Uh, you know, stack up in his life. But it, at, in the end, he's. Uh, accepting his own mortality uh a lot of people see that they think you know i'm just you know i i'm I'm a good person you know but it's not our good works it's our faith in jesus christ ultimately is our salvation but one of the things i thought was interesting at the end of the series uh picard was talking and after he gets you know his consciousness wakes up in this synth body one of the questions was, is he going to live forever? Is he? But he doesn't want that. He still wants that. He's thinking of what Data told him about, you know, he, he's longing for his, uh, the end of his mortality, the end of, you know, the suffering he's had on, the, on Earth. So yeah, I thought that even, was a good point. He was even talking about, like, am I going to have powers, like extra strength or whatever? Right. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, no, no, no. You're just you're still gonna just be normal, and you know we're gonna add maybe another twenty years to your life. You know you're not gonna live forever. Um, it was it was almost like in that it was almost like a highly glorified procedure to fix uh, yeah. a medical abnormality. I, uh, the way I saw it, it was it was a combination of a data transfer, I guess you could say. Yeah, you know, I was going to say brain transplant. Brain, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like a brain transplant. Um, but yeah, it was almost, it was like a, it was like a data transfer com- combined with a procedure to correct something that was going on wrong with his body to get him to a point where he would last as long as he would have without that abnormality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, getting him there. So one thing there at the end too that maybe we can kind of hang our hat on as, as we wind this down is there's the moment there at the end with data and Picard where Picard basically admits that, you know, he loves data, which is an extremely human thing, but a human for an Android, right? So there's that interesting interplay there. 
Um, but that's how strong their relationship has become. And of course, Picard has those feelings, not only because he spent all of that time serving with him in the next generation, all those seasons, but because of the sacrifice that uh, Data made for him, giving him that second chance at life, right? Yes. And so there's obviously a direct parallel to um, you know the, the Christian doctrine in that um, we are eternally loved by God who sends his son, and he dies in our place, and through his death and sacrifice, we have the opportunity at a second chance at life. So I felt like that was a, a great moment of maybe redemption there toward the end because like Picard, we've all looked back on our life and we have regrets, we have mistakes, we wish we could start over, we wish we could go back and change things. And of course, some of that we can't do, but we can get the hope of a new start. And the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed and the new has come. So that's the great hope that I saw in there and that because of that love that they had, love was demonstrated right. through the death and the sacrifice that his android savior mm-hmm. made for him. Yes. And um, he gets that second chance. And that data loved him whether, you know, he was going to do the sacrifice for him, whether he asked for it or not. Right. Yeah. Ask yeah. For it. And it also shows, too, that Picard viewed data. And again, if you've seen the episode Measure of a Man, where Picard mm-hmm. is defending data's rights as an individual, yeah. it, it it shows that in that scene when he said that he loves data, he sees data as more than an automaton. He sees him as a sentient artificial being, you know, uh, during the series, Picard made some kind of point about the artificial versus biochemical type, like flesh and blood versus artificial life. And in in that type of scene, it, it was showing how he views data as a sentient human being, just artificial in nature rather than biochemical. It's very much like the same relationship that we see between Kirk and Spock. Mm-hmm. And whether whether we're talking about the reboot or we're right. talking about the um, original movies, mm-hmm. especially Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, where we see the, the moment there that we all know about. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, right. Where Spock sacrifices his life to right. save everybody. And then, of course, they reverse it in the reboot. Yes. But it's that same principle of sacrifice. And, right. you know, Jesus said... Um, no man has greater love than for him to lay down his life for his brother. Right. And so we see those ideals being portrayed. Again, maybe the writers in Star Trek aren't intentionally drawing from Christianity, but it's all there. Yes. And it's 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 a beautiful thing to see when it, it's well done and, and put on the screen. We all identify with that because there's no greater act of love that could ever be done. And the amazing thing about the gospel is that we... Uh, become the recipients of that love when we are the most undeserving of that because of our own sin and our own brokenness and our own evil choices. Um, but uh, that's one reason why I love watching these series and all kinds of science fiction is because um, I see the threads being pulled from the Bible, even though they may not mean to be doing these things. It's they're they're stealing from God's playbook. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when it's funny, even even just using. Star Trek, as an example, I think like every now and then, Derek, you'll you'll text me a link or, or something, whether it has to do with some 
newer movie and uh, or, or some new show and usually my response is oh yeah there was a star trek episode about that yeah <laughs> uh, back in the 60s or or yeah star I get trek an already <laughs> so and then i'm like hey that's like yeah. that uh, in tolkien and then you go and to tolkien and Cimmerillion. yeah right yeah. Yeah, when Derek goes to Tolkien, then then I got nothing. <laughs> you know that that predates and and that that's a huge world right there. So, well, um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful connections there. And again, you know, I I really feel like, you know, whether or not the writers intended on it, you know, those doors are open. I believe for anyone to draw their own strings from. So, anticipating season two because there, my understanding is there is officially at least a three season plan for the show. And I actually read an article a few months ago saying that their, their plan is to continue this show so long as Patrick Stewart feels up to it. So really he's, he's kind of the one in the captain's chair, so to speak. And he's just going to keep at this. Now, one of the big deals about that is in the past, Patrick Stewart had some small opportunities to <clears throat> reprise his role and either turn them down or they fell through and all of that. And really he, he got to the point where he had hung the hat up on Picard. Yeah. He just and didn't want to do it. Exactly. Anymore. He was, he was done. Yeah. And I mean, he was very public about it. So for, for him to have come back and done this, that meant that CBS and them had to really sell him on it. So the, the, it wasn't just, Hey, we're going to hire you come on in and act like he, this, the way all of this was done made an impression on Patrick Stewart. And in turn, when Patrick Stewart did the first script reading, um, Alex Kurtzman was drawn to tears, you know, because that was the first time in almost over 18 years at that point that, you know, we had heard Patrick Stewart speak as Picard, but anyway, anticipating season two, whether it's, new characters or the direction of the show. Do any of y'all have any thoughts on what you would like to see with season two? Well, I mean, you know, I think I may even send you this link or whatever, but, uh, Patrick Stewart, he already, uh, wanted to get Whoopi Goldberg back. To play Gun. And that's official. Yeah. Cause yeah. she said yes to and that. that. And that was even before season one even came out. Right. And he's like, you're coming back. You're going to have like, to get yes. her off the view somehow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well it, for, for Star Trek, that'll be easy. She like, like she, yes, she I'm, is I'm, very I'm passionate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see just about every character from Next Generation come back, at least right. make an appearance. And I would say, I mean, say what you will one way or the other about Whoopi Goldberg, because everyone's got some view on the view. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> you know, I, I, that, whatever. But... Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan is a truly iconic part of Star Trek uh, because she was the one, she was the bartender on the Enterprise, but she was the counselor in many ways. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, you had Deanna Troy and that, that was a wonderful character to have too. And there's all kinds of wonderful things that can be said about her, but having Guinan on there, being as old as the character was and having that, that, that unique intuition and she had that cool way of of solving someone's problem without doing anything. Like the way, if you ever watch any of the conversations that the character has with the crew members of the Enterprise, it's really interesting to see how she gets them to realize that the 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 solution to whatever problem they're coming to her about is staring them right in the face. 
So anyway, I, I am personally excited that she is reprising her role uh, as Guinan because, again, the just speaking to the character and how, how that actress portrayed the character was something that I thought was really iconic to Star Trek. I think, um, you know, I alluded to this earlier with uh, we lost the character was the Enterprise, but the new ship he's on, the new ship is, it's evolved, you know, like the captain... And he's got how many different uh, versions of himself are on this now? There's oh, all the hologram. Yeah, yes. the hospitality, the psychological, the engineer. There's like four or five of them. So, I mean, it's it's unlimited how they can stretch one character over. They run this entire ship. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they run with that. Yeah. So, somehow in the new series, they're the new season, rather, they're going to have to keep the personal journey going. Uh, now that the data chapter has been closed, um, he, Picard kind of has a chance now to reinvent himself. And so I'm wondering, are they going to pursue the same personal kind of transformation journey that they went with in this season? Or are they going to maybe lean more toward a traditional where it's more um, a, an enemy that they have to face or a race or, you know, save the universe against what whatever kind of opposition comes against them it's going to be interesting to see what direction they take there because it's really kind of wide open yeah yes um with um speaking of you know say a new enemy when seven and nine uh reawoke the borg ship i think that's going to factor in when the collective was reawoke on that ship i think that's going to like reach out and draw the yeah. Borg back in. They got the a lot series. of things they can draw on. There. Oh yeah, because yeah. everything the Borg does has a long-lasting effect. Yeah, whatever it is, he plays checkers. Or wait, they play checkers. He plays chess. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh yes. So the, uh, I, I, or it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> or, or the or the collective. Yes. Uh, yeah. You could see, because you know it's it's one consciousness. And and Q could like totally pop up anywhere. On any of these different crossover shows, I mean. Yeah. At John Delancey's age, it was th thanks to Deepfake. So do we have a confirmation for when the next season will start or air? Okay, so Strange New Worlds. Now, I know COVID might be a factor, but Strange New Worlds is scheduled for fall of 2021. This season came out last January. If I had to just throw out a guess out there, given Patrick Stewart's age, I mean, he turned 80 just a few days ago. And so I'm sure they're factoring that in and probably going to, I wouldn't be surprised if they at least delayed filming because of COVID. Cause I know they've not filmed anything yet, but I do know that they are very deep into having it written out for all I know. Season two is probably already planned out and it's just going through. A, it could be just ready to film. <laughs> exactly. That that's, that's my feeling on that. Um, but Again, there there is at least a three season plan, and the the mindset at CBS, my understanding is, they're just going to keep this rolling until Patrick Stewart says, "I think I've I've done my part." And I think that's good. Yeah, I think it's good when they put a, a finish line on TV shows, because some TV shows go way too long, yeah. mm -hmm. and they just keep recycling the same thing over and over and over again, and it loses it loses its newness, its freshness. And it just becomes a trope of over, like a broken record, just like right. Per example of that, The Walking Dead. 
like yeah, the, it's, the past it's the past yeah. seasons. Once you get beyond, it's just the same thing over and right. over again. And TV shows really run into that because they're just trying to keep the train going. The <laughs> <laughs> they try and keep the train going, and I think it's great when they plan a show and have a goal in mind to say this is the terminus point. Like this is yeah. what we're heading for. Yeah. That way they can write toward a satisfying conclusion. Because how many shows end and you're like they end with a whimper and you're like that's mm-hmm. it. And that's, that's what I've been watching the 10 seasons out. for. The populace will be like, oh, no, we really like it. Well, then they'll try to keep drawing it out and drawing yeah, it out. Like, yeah, that's what makes a, a series good is that it has a satisfying ending. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's, I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. So what it, what is actually the, the next Star Trek thing to come out? Is it Discovery's the next? The uh, well, next? actually, Lower Decks, the, the, the cartoon show. Okay. That, that's actually coming out August 6th. So we're we're let, we're just a couple of weeks away, or just a few weeks away from Lower Deck. So if you have CBS All Access, you know that that's that show is going to be directly dropped onto CBS All Access. And the the trailer is kind of funny. I mean, if you ever seen the trailer for Lower Decks, it's pretty cool. Um, so that that is directly the next one, and then they still don't have a season three release date for Discovery, but I do know it's complete. And again you know, the, this whole COVID thing might be causing a delay. Yeah, we in already that. saw a trailer for that, didn't we? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. There's, yeah. There's, there's at least a, yeah, there's at least two already out for that. So it's a great time to be a Star Trek fan. It is a wonderful time to tr- be a Trekkie. I mean, you have, uh, you have discovery that's already gone through two seasons. Uh, they brought back Christopher Pike and now that's leading into its own spinoff, which again, I'm, I'm, absolutely thrilled about uh you have season three of discovery coming up we've already got a season of picard it's already obviously been renewed for season two we've got lower decks coming out we've got strange new worlds uh well i already mentioned strange new worlds but it's it really is an amazing time uh, to be a trekking worth saying twice do what <laughs> it was worth saying twice it was worth saying strange twice yes the question oh, yes. is will we ever get another motion picture that is the question and it, it's all wrapped up in I, who? How much am I going to get paid according to the actors? That is and that's one big part. and yes. red tape and all that stuff. The, the red tape because you you have you you had the the Chris Pine Chris uh, Chris Hemsworth fall through on the salary negotiations and then it went through at least three different directors to the mm-hmm. point where we were even hearing about Quentin Tarantino, yeah. and we're still hearing about that now. Personally, and I know this is going to sound crazy. I would love to see Quentin Tarantino do a Star Trek movie, and, oh, I, and I will tell you why. Royale with cheese. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Royale with uh, or a synth hall with cheese. The, um, the uh, Quentin Tarantino is a rabid, rabid Star Trek Star Trek fan. Like he loves. If you've ever seen the beginning of Kill Bill, it quotes Star Trek too. Revenge is a dish best served cold. And it even says, the citation says, old Klingon proverb. <laughs> that, that's how Kill Bill begins. It's, it's a black screen, white letters that says they, and, and that, that was Khan. They say that re- revenge is a dish best served cold. Old Klingon proverb. Exactly how Khan said it. In Star Trek Two, Ricardo <laughs> exactly. Yes, well, you know um, if they make another Star Trek movie, and if he does do it, you know Sam Jackson's got to be in there somewhere. I would love <laughs> to see Samuel L. Jackson. How as, are they going to get him yeah. in there? I don't know. Uh, if they I make him know, a Sam Jackson, he already quoted. He said, "I'll." He does. Yes. Any role he gets offered, he does it. 
Yeah. He's like, I don't care what it is. I'm <laughs> Especially if it's Tarantino. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen Django Unchained, you can you you can definitely say Samuel L. Jackson will do any role that you throw at him if it's Tarantino directing it. Um, but get real quick, getting to my anticipation for season two of Picard. I know some they they wanted the show not to be a next generation reunion. That's why we don't see, but maybe you know, like Riker and Troy. Picard's the obvious one, you know, yeah. And so we, you know, we don't see all that. And so, um, the, they didn't want it. That's why we don't see Dr. Crusher, Worf, LaForge. And that's why in that episode where Picard even says, I don't want to put them through that. Mm -hmm. Well, that was also because they don't want this to be a TNG reunion show. You know, they want it to go off on its own path. But personally, I would, I mean, Crusher, LaForge and Worf, could make appearances in there because technically according to canon Worf is now captain of the enterprise i would love to see either roe if y'all remember her she was the bajoran who left the federation for the maquis or sila who was the blonde romulan daughter of the alternate version of tasha yar if you remember yesterday's enterprise from season three where the federation was at war with the klingons because the enterprise c comes through the rift this is why you're the Star Trek <laughs> guy. I was going to say, I'm getting, I'm getting crickets. So, but that, and that is okay. That's why, again, if y'all, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. <laughs> that was very well done. So again, that's why the Star Trek questions go to me. So well, anyway, to wrap this up, uh, we, uh, we certainly hope that uh, anyone listening really enjoyed uh, listening to the Inner Light Project. We, uh, we're, we're, we will be on Facebook, uh, so please leave a comment. Uh, please follow us on Facebook. Uh, anything you want to share, um, especially positive, inclusive comments. You know, in this, in this day and age, um, you know, we may... We may represent something that not everyone may agree to. We may represent a, a set of beliefs that not everyone may share. But in the spirit of Picard and in the spirit of Jesus, we do maintain a positive, open mind. And so anything that is shared with us or commented on, um, uh, it, it's always appreciated that it's coming from a standpoint of an open mind and an open door uh, rather than, you know, something that contrasts with that. Um, and really in closing, as men of faith, we we invite you, whoever's listening, to um, to check out any local church that you may, uh, may be near. Um, we are, happen to be Baptist. And so, you know, if you are not attending church somewhere and you feel, you know, that, that need to explore that part of your life and to see what worship is about. We encourage you to, to look into that, to explore that and see, you know, where you might be able to plug in, uh, for, I know for all of us, that's how we come together here. So, so again, uh, we just want to thank you for, for listening and, uh, we just wish you all the best and God bless you.